You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Good morning. As uh, I've been getting ready for this passage today, um, this one has been different than many others. I mean, they're, they're all... They're all very serious, but um, as I read it through the first time, and I started reading it, and I got, you know, just partway into the first story of Luke 22 of Jesus in the garden, I had to stop and and walk away. (laughs) It was just, it was heavy. And I didn't want to read it lightly. I just didn't, I didn't want to just read it again. And so I came back and, and, read it again, and as I started reading it again, it was heavy. And uh, there were moments where it was hard to get through the passage, because as you start to think about what happened in Gethsemane, as I, as I, as I think about it, I just, I can't really understand it. It's emotionally way too deep. It's a conversation be- between Jesus the Son and his Father, in levels that I will never understand. And as I thought about the fact that I need to communicate this, I need to talk about it, I kept thinking, I can't, I can't, do, I can't do this. There's no way in the world that I could do this justice. And so I just have to recognize that. But I do believe that God's word stands on its own. And we're going to look at it today. And I just want to invite you into it with me. Um, last week, as part of the final Passover, we found, uh, Jay brought us through it, and we found the disciples quarreling over who was the greatest or who would be the greatest. <laughs> and Jesus, throughout his ministry years, had been modeling what the greatest is to them. And he told them the greatest is the one who serves. Um, He said he himself had come to serve and set the example. So Jay reminded us of of that last week. And my question coming into this was, well, what did we do about last week's message? How have we served this week? How have I served? So my question to you would be, how did you serve this week? It's one thing to come on Sunday and listen to a message and and get pumped up about what I'm going to do, and then Monday hits and I forgot everything. <laughs> um, and so just, just asking for you to think through, how did you apply last week's message? And um, as I think about serving, there are three guys that came to uh, help us a few weeks ago. We invited them, one guy to dinner, and he said, hey, we'd love to come and do a work project at your house, and we can change this floor, you know, and he started thinking about all these things, you know, he's a He's a construction guy, so he's like, can, I, can we do this? So I thought, okay, let's do it. So we planned a day, and they replaced the floor in our kitchen and our dining room, and, and then uh, one of the guys stayed outside, worked with me all day replacing a fe- or putting in a fence. It was really cool. And they did it just with joy at the end of the day. It was, it was at night when they got done, and there was just joy. They were happy. There was no grumbling, no, oh, I can't believe we're doing this. It w- they were excited to do it. And so Carrie and I have been thinking, you know, we need to have 
some people over. And last week, the whole serving thing, was like, well, that was the theme. So we thought, let's, let's have some people over. So we thought we'd have them over. We ended up having like over 30 people in our house. Um, <laughs> so um, it was a lot of fun. My parents were there. Uh, I love my dad. My mom, they, they live in Paraguay. And I hadn't, we hadn't seen them in about six years. Uh, so it was really good to see them. They spent a few days, 11 days with us. And we cherished every moment. Um, but speaking of serving, um, up here at the end, towards the end of the message and throughout the, end, throughout the service, there will be prayer teams. And they are here to serve. They want to pray with you. So as, as, we, as, you, as we listen to God's word and you feel, uh, you feel nudged to speak to God, I want to encourage you not to do it alone. Please take advantage of them being here and their willingness to serve and do that with you. And, uh, and, and think about it as, as we go into the message. Another thing uh, Jay said, talked about last week, was Peter's, um, Peter's denial and how there was this conversation in heaven between Satan and God. And Satan had asked God uh, to tempt Peter. He had asked, let me sift him like wheat. I, I want to shake him up. <laughs> and, and God would allow that. And uh, he told Peter, Peter, um, you know, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And Jay reminded us that failure can be redeemed. This week, we'll actually take a look at how all the disciples failed and how Peter actually denied Jesus. Um, He really wanted to be strong, but he failed. But before we begin, I want to ask you a question. When you think of God, what picture comes to your mind? When you think of God, what picture comes to your mind? Would you tell someone next to you? What picture of God comes to your mind when you think of God? This week, as I sat at preaching team with the guys, one of them asked that question. And I thought, oh, that is so good. We need to do that. So that's the question. Um, as I think of God, you know, my typical thought of God would probably be something like uh, glorious, majestic, all-knowing, powerful creator of heaven, creator of angels, enthroned in glory, you know, that kind of a picture and when we look at scripture, that's who we see. We see God in glory. And yet, that's not the full picture. We also see a God who is much closer to us. He isn't just a God out there disconnected from man's struggle. He knows our deepest struggles. And um, the Almighty chooses to clothe himself in humanity. He becomes one of us. He chooses to struggle as one of us. That is amazing about God. And we look at this passage of scripture. There's so much emotion around that. And um, so here's, here's the passage in Luke. It says, Jesus, this was after the, the, the Passover supper, and Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, 
If you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he arose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. When I read this passage and read it over and over again, the one thing that stands out for me is that Jesus struggles as a man. We see his humanity in this. Why did he struggle? Because he would have to face the cross. Obviously, this was a very difficult thing. It is... uh, The Romans were very good at the crucifixion. And he would have to face that, but there were levels of this that were even far greater than that. The burden of sin on a pure, spotless lamb. Ah, That's something we could never understand. But he's he's having to face this. And uh, he's, he's struggling as a man. Over and over again, he had told his disciples that he would come to Jerusalem and be killed and that he would rise again. So here he is, it's time. He was about to face the torture of crucifixion and unlike other criminals, this holy, sinless Jesus was going to be burdened with all the guilt of the sins of mankind. Something we will never understand. Hmm. We see Jesus in this in the garden, he he you know, he comes in and he the first thing he says to the disciples is um, pray that you will not fall into temptation. In a sense he wants them to pray for themselves. He wants them to pray for each other. But maybe he wants them to pray for him as well. He had told them, this is going to be rough. You know, I'm going to be denied. And, you, and everybody's saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. They're, they're going to stand by Jesus. And here he's asking, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And Jesus himself, um, he, he comes back and he finds them in sorrow. But he, he finds them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are they in sorrow? Crucifixion hadn't happened yet. Maybe it's because they're watching Jesus pray. Maybe it's because they've seen him all night with this heavy burden that he's been thinking about. I mean, when he sat down, he said, man, I have so long to eat this with you guys and I won't get to do it again for a long time. But maybe they're watching him cry. And they start out, but they're, they start crying, and they're in sorrow. And he says, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. That same phrase twice, pray, so that you won't fall into temptation. So Jesus finds a place alone to be with his father, a son and his dad. And they're about to have a very, very difficult conversation. He goes to dad, and he says, father... If you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Can you imagine the emotion in this conversation, how Jesus is feeling, and the father's emotion as he hears his son? Um, I've got, these are my two youngest, Sammy and Shiloh. And there are times they'll come up to me and say, Daddy, can I have some candy? And Shiloh will put his hands together, or, or Sammy's, uh, Sammy's kind of figured out how to bat her eyes. 
Uh, you know, and I'll look at oh, you think just because you're cute, you're, you know, and it's hard to say no. It's hard to say no to candy, a good thing. Could you imagine, you know, a son or a daughter coming to you and say, Dad, could you, would it be all right if I didn't go to school today because there are a bunch of thugs and bullies that are waiting for me with sticks and clubs and when I get there, they're going to beat me. And they're going to put me in a corner somewhere and they're going to beat me until. This is kind of the picture. Jesus is, that's not even, doesn't do it justice. Jesus is saying, Dad, this cup, this punishment, they're going to take me, they're going to beat me all night. Then they're going to flog my back, they're going to scourge it, I'm going to be unrecognizable, and then they're going to take me to another king who's going to beat me, and they're going to mock me, they're going to mock my identity as, as, of, as who I am, they're going to say I'm nothing, and then they're going to kill me, and he's speaking to the Father, and to make it even more intense, Jesus says, and being in, it says, and being in anguish. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus prays earnestly, intensely. When was the last time you prayed intensely for something? Something so big that you're, you're not just asking, you're begging, you're, you're there and you're, God, please. Um. Jesus is doing this very thing. He's, it's an intense conversation. And the question is, how does the father respond? What does he, what does he say? And what we, what we see is that he, there, there's nothing there. We, we, look in, we look at other places in scripture, but we, here we see silence. And, but in other places, like at the Mount of Transfiguration, he's there talking to Moses and Elijah, and, and the father speaks or at the baptism, the Father speaks. Here, out of all the prayers that Jesus would be talking to the Father about, he's talking about the cross and what he's going to go through, and he's speaking and he's earnestly praying, and the Father is silent. Doesn't mean he's not there. The Father is silent, but he sends a strengthening angel, not to take away the pain, but to strengthen Jesus through the pain. Hmm. I realized that Jesus was going through a level of trouble that we might never face. But how do we prepare when we are going through something hard or when we know that something hard is coming? Sometimes I have to have a hard conversation with my wife or my son or a friend or just someone in the church. And I know my character is going to be tried. How do I get ready for it? Jesus asked his disciples to pray. Wouldn't it have been nice if he had gone off to pray and came back and found Thomas and James, you know, praying fervently. That would have been, that's not the story though. He comes back and finds them sleeping. But what attitude do we see in Jesus as he prays? What, what does his heart look like? You know, he had, he had performed, he had performed many miracles in the past. He was the one who just called out, Lazarus, come forth, and a dead man comes out of the grave. 
Or yes, be healed, and a leper is healed instantly. Um, Jesus could have come in this prayer and on this situation, he'd have come and, he could have come and declared a miracle. You know, this is happening. Boom. It's done. But that's not his heart. He approaches his father with this, um, with this if you are willing mentality. God, if you are willing. I think about God's silence. Sometimes when we pray, I have a good friend, a brother. His name is Tim Osorio. He's one of the guys on leadership at Comunidad. And uh, when his father passed away, his father was the guy who started Comunidad. But when his father passed away, he went to Guatemala on a trip to visit some family and friends, and he got sick. And so they called the family. He flew down, and he spent all night praying for his dad, praying that dad would get better. And morning came, and he had died. And he wondered, why? Why, Lord? Why would, why would you let this happen? And a lot of times we, we, we pray to God, we talk to him, and yet we hear silence. I, what, what struggles or what trials are you going through? What hard things are you going through in life? And are you talking to God about them? Is there something you're going through? When we came back from Bolivia... A few years ago, we were missionaries there, and uh, I was sure this is what God wants for my life. There were 200, 200 to 300 kids at a private uh, outreach school. Most of the kids who came were hearing, hearing the gospel and coming to Christ. The church was growing. There were other churches in the area that were growing, and I thought, this is what God, where God wants me. This is my dream. I get to do this. And then my daughter got sick, and we had to c- come to the States, and we weren't going back. And for two years, I kept planning and thinking, we're going back, we're going back. But those first few months of the first year, I had conversations with God, why? Why? Please make it happen. Let's, just, let's go back. And it didn't. And I just felt like God was silent. And for, that, for, a, for a time, he was and yet over time, I got, I, I got to see God at work, and I see the reason, and I see why. There are times when God says no, and we don't understand it, yet he has a purpose. Um, so what happens next in the story? Just keep in mind, God is with us when we pray, even, even when we don't feel it. But in the story, it says, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Isn't that interesting? Imagine being arrested and taking, being taken to the house of a, a of a religious leader. This is where you're taken by the authorities. That's what's happening. They take him to the house of the high priest, and Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, 
I don't know what you're talking about. One of the other gospels says he basically cursed like a sailor to prove that he wasn't one of the followers of Jesus. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter, we find Peter, um, he remembers what, God, what Jesus says, and we find that he denies Jesus three times. This is the, one who, the guy who's, who was really strong. The guy who says, I will never deny you. Everybody else might, you know, I'm willing to go to the cross. I'm willing to die. I'm, I'm willing to die with you. I won't do it. And yet we see him weak. We see him um, not following through with what he said he would do. He fails. Do we ever fail? I, that, why even the question, right? <laughs> yeah, I fail all the time. Um, I used to think I was pretty good, and then I got married. <laughs> and uh, it was like a mirror. Oh, yeah, you're not, yeah. I fail all the time. I fail in thought. I fail in action. I love Carrie. But trying to show her the love that I, that I have for her and actually doing it are two very different things. I fail all the time. We fail all the time. The question isn't, do we fail? The question is, how do we respond to failure? What do we do with it? And in this passage, you know, the thing I love about this is when Jesus was preparing Peter for, for what was going to happen, he, he said, Simon, Simon, using, using the old Peter's name, Satan has asked to sift you, all of you, as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. As I look at this garden scene, he says, hey, pray that you don't fall fall into temptation. And it seemed they failed at that. But Jesus didn't fail. Jesus had prayed for Peter before. He had been praying for him. And the one specific prayer he had for Peter was that his faith wouldn't falter. That he would have faith even through the failure, that that would be the one thing you would come back to. And, and that's, that's the one thing. What is, what is faith? Faith is about going to God in our failure and trusting him. That he's putting me through a process of becoming more like him. The failure doesn't define, doesn't define me. What God says and what he does, that's what defines me. This process, this process of Faith at work only works if I recognize my brokenness and come to him in faith. The other option is to run from God and wallow in remorse. It's a downward cycle that is not healthy. Can you think of another disciple that did that? Judas. They both failed. But in the end, we'll find Peter comes, comes back to Jesus and he comes broken and he recognizes his brokenness. Judas, on the other hand, he feels guilty. There is a type of repentance, but it's, it's not a turning around. It's just a wallowing in guilt. And the guilt makes him feel more guilty and more guilty. And in the end, he takes his own life. So... Where are you at when it comes to failure? How do you respond to failure when you feel guilty, when you've done something you know isn't right, or when you're just maybe broken because the world is broken and it's just, it's just happened? 
Does that define you? Or does coming to God in faith define you? And the, the story continues. At daybreak, the council of the elders, this was called the Sanhedrin, the people who were going to try him, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law met together. And Jesus was led before them. And what they're trying to do, they don't have the power to crucify someone or to, to, to give cap, capital punishment. So they have to charge him with something and they have to get some evidence against him so that they can take him to the Romans and have them crucify him. So the one thing that they want to charge him with is, is are you the Messiah? If he can claim publicly that he is the Messiah, then basically he's saying that he is the king of the Jews, the one who will overthrow the Roman government. And with that, they can charge him. So the first question they ask him is, if you're the Messiah, they said, tell us. And I love how Jesus answers, man, he's been telling them all along. He's been telling them by his actions. Many people say Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. But when you go back to John 4, you find him speaking to the Samaritan woman, and she says, I know the Messiah is coming. And he says, yeah, that's me. You're talking to him. When Peter, when he asked them, who, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? G Peter said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and that would have been a great opportunity for Jesus to say, no, Peter, I'm sorry. You're wrong. I'm just a prophet. But he said, Peter, my father has revealed this to you. I am the Messiah. I'm also the son of God. That's what he told the disciples. And here, he's going to answer them. But, but this picture, I asked you, what picture of God do you have? And we picture him all glorious and majestic. But this picture of God wrapped in humanity, on trial before men, and God allows it, and Jesus allows it, it's just amazing. It's mind-boggling. Why, why would you let that happen? And yet here he is. And Jesus answers them. And he says, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But, ah, let's, we won't get to that one yet. But basically saying, what good is it going to do to tell you again? You're not going to believe. You don't want to believe. This isn't about whether you want to know if I'm the Messiah or not. You already know what I think. But in some kind of compassionate way, he's still saying, you're not, you're hard. You're not going to believe. And so he goes on and he does answer this, but, but the answer he gives isn't just, I am the Messiah. He ups it. He's going to teach them what the Messiah means. And he says, but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. He uses this title of himself, the Son of Man. He takes it exactly from their own prophet, from Daniel, who said this about the Messiah. In my vision, at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What Jesus is saying is, okay, you guys have this picture of who the Messiah is going to be. 
Let me give you Daniel's picture. That's who I am. I'm the son of man. And you're going to see him sitting at the right hand of God. The one you're judging now is the one who judges everybody. That's what he says. And then just a couple days earlier, the Pharisees had sent some, some, some guys, some, some Pharisees, some doctors of the law to talk to Jesus to kind of get him to trip up, to claim that he was the Messiah. But Jesus answered, he asked them questions. Here's, here's the question he asked them. He says, then Jesus said to them, why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? Because this is the picture they have in their mind, that the Messiah is a descendant of David who is going to take over, set up Israel, take out Rome. That's the picture. And he wants them to see more. So he says, why? Why, why, does, why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then, how then can he be his son? The Messiah isn't just a descendant of David. He is someone else's son. Whose son is Jesus implying to be? God's. And so they all asked him, are you the son of God? Not just the Messiah, not just the son of man. Are you really the son of God? He replied, you say that I am. When, they, when we read this in English and the way it's read, it almost sounds like he's saying, oh, you guys are saying it. Back then, this was an idiom for yes. It's more like, yeah, you're saying it. And to make sure we're not confused, this was their response. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. This was very clear. Jesus clearly believed he was the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God. So do they have something to charge him with now? Yeah, they do. So they take the Son of God and, and, and he's claiming, you know, this is who he is. Not only is he claiming, you know, those three, but with those three saying, I'm equal with God. To them, this was the same as, this is blasphemy. So they have something to charge him and they're going to take him away. And the question, when Jesus is taken away, he's taken before Herod, before Pilate. And Pilate has to decide and Pilate basically finds him innocent. But, you know, he has to decide. Is he really the king of the Jews or isn't he? So he sends him to Herod. And Jesus doesn't even speak to Herod. He doesn't give him a chance to believe anymore. It's over for Herod. So Jesus looks at, or Herod looks at Jesus and says, you're a phony Messiah. And I'm going to make you look like one. So he, he clothes him in, in purple robes, has him beaten up, gives him a fake scepter or whatever, and then crowns him with a, a crown of thorns, the picture of God, enthroned in glory, and now he's enthroned with a crown of thorns. What a contrast. And he sends him back. But they all had to decide. The Sanhedrin, Pilate, Herod, 
This is the charge. The charge is he is the savior of the world, the son of man, the son of God, or he's a phony, or he's just crazy. That, what does it have to do with us? It's not very different today. We have to decide. We have to choose whether Jesus is really who he said he was. Or if he's just, or if he's just crazy. Jesus still claims to be the Messiah, the one who came to redeem us from our brokenness. He still offers this today. He is the Son of God, the Almighty Creator, glorious, majestic King, who is also the Son of Man, wrapped in humanity, enthroned in heaven, and enthroned with a crown of thorns for us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. What will you do with Jesus? Will you choose to accept Jesus as the promised king? Will you choose to accept him as your savior, as your Messiah? Do you accept him as as a brother, one of us, a God-made man? Do you choose to accept him as who he is, God himself? He's calling, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the reason why he went through this struggle, the reason why he goes through this pain it was because he deeply, he deeply desires a relationship with you. He re- desires a relationship with me. That's what he did it for. He left heaven for you, for me. And I can't put it into words. This is not enough. But that's his desire. And if you don't have a relationship with him, would you have a conversation with God right now? Would you talk to him? Would you tell him, you are my savior You are God-made man. You're my brother. You can say it. You can recognize, yeah, that's who he is. But until you have this conversation with him, it's between you and him. This is about relationship. So he invites you to come to him right now if you don't know him and invite him into this relationship. If you already, already have this relationship, then he invites us to live as children of the king of kings, as children of the savior of our brother, of God made man. That's who he invites us to be. So what will you do with, with Jesus? As I invite the worship team to come up, there's a special song they're gonna do. But I wanna invite you to do business with God. The charge is still, is still real today. We have to choose who God is. And we have to choose to respond. I want to invite you to take a few minutes and speak with God. Just as you hear the words of this song, would you consider the picture of God, who he is? Consider the almighty, consider the very personal, and consider where you're at, what trials you're going through, and how you will respond to who God is. There's one last piece of the story. It's, it's the story of, of this criminal who uh, Pilate, in wanting to release Jesus, he basically puts the criminal up and Jesus up and he says, I will release one of these guys to you. Who will you choose? And the people chose 
the man who deserved death, Barabbas, and they let Jesus free. But isn't that our story? The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. That is our story. Jesus replaces me, for all you note takers out there. Um, But that is an amazing story. This is amazing grace. So as you leave, let me ask you, what, what picture of God are you leaving with? And what picture of God will you display in your life this week? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son. Jesus, I thank you for being our Messiah, our Savior, for being one of us, for being God himself made man. Father, help us respond and reflect who you are this week. In the name of the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.